All right, welcome into episode 22 of the Greatest People You've Never Met podcast. Uh, today, very special guest joining me from Marshall, Minnesota, uh, Southwest Minnesota State uh, basketball head coach, Brad Bigler. Coach, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, obviously, I, I've heard your, your stories, and I, I know about you as a coach from being close to the Kirk family, and uh, nothing but good things, and I, I'm sure you have nothing but bad things to say about Carter, but we'll save those for another time off air. Uh, but uh, if you just do everybody a favor and just uh, give yourself a brief little intro. You know, I... Um the Kirk family uh, was was kind of the connection to get to this point. Uh, I was fortunate to coach Carter Kirk. Guess my history goes back. I've been here at Southwest Minnesota State for closing in on 25 years now. Um, I was a I was a former player here, and things just kind of worked out and destined for me to be the head coach. Uh, became a grad assistant shortly after college. Became an assistant. And then the head coach, and now we're closing in on like 12 years of being a head coach. And I tell you what, I, I couldn't even – time flies, man. I, I, dropped my, I dropped my daughter off today at high school for the first time. And when I dropped her off, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I am old now. Yeah. And uh, officially old, dropping <laughs> my daughter off at high school. So originally from Iowa, um, found my way up again to Minnesota through basketball – uh, basketball has really kind of changed my life or impacted my life in ways that I can't even, uh, I wouldn't have even imagined. And yeah. so, uh, it's kind of an intro, um, just a small town guy growing up and never thought I'd be a college basketball coach, but things kind of had a, got a different way of using me, I guess, and, and, yeah. and kind of pushed me in this direction. And, and, uh, now I get a chance to be around young people and, uh, make an impact the best that I can. Uh, last, last weekend, we actually, um, you know, one of the things that the Kirk family would remind you, and I got a funny story on, on that too. Um, you know, we do paintball fighting, uh, the second weekend and both those Kirk guys were pretty good at paintball fighting. Yeah. Uh, one of the older one, Jordan, you know, your boy, he had to run the gauntlet. So you're going to have to ask him what the gauntlet was sometime. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I was trying to keep up with the old guys right now. So I have to be honest with you, I'm like stiff as a board right now. I'm like sore, <laughs> trying to like just shake it out all day. I got hit in the head twice. <laughs> I'm like, I might have to, I might have to hang the the paintball fighting up with the guys here pretty soon. That's funny. Well, I appreciate you so much for coming on. I know uh, in your world, you're probably just starting to crank everything up as, you know, football's obviously in full swing and then basketball season's right around the corner. And so just kind of to touch on some of those things as we get to, to the kind of the heart of this podcast, what's, what's the, uh, what's the year look like for a head division two basketball coach? Uh, that's a good question. I think, you know, for me right now, you know, we have seven weeks of preseason basketball. And so we have, from the basketball side of things, we can practice. We have practice today. Um, we can practice four hours a week, and then we're in the weight room about four hours a week, or we'll flip over to some conditioning maybe one of those hours. But it, that doesn't seem like it's that busy, but we have study tables. We have other things going on. And then, like I said, my phase of life, I, I have uh, six peaking engagements here over the next uh, over the next month as well. So that kind of – takes me off site and um, gives me other opportunities to kind of make an impact. And then I have a, again, in the fall, I have a daughter that's running cross country on the varsity team. And then I have a son who actually goes to a different school right outside of Marshall and he runs cross country as well. So you got that balance in life right now. I'm just that different phase where uh, I'm getting pulled in a lot of different directions. And, uh, but that's fun. I think having life being busy is, is awesome. Um, When the season kicks, kicks up here in October. I mean, it's just one of those things that you have to give a, it's a nights and nights and weekends job. Yep. And I don't think people really understand. I mean, you're calling me tonight, we're doing a podcast or whatever, but um, in all reality, I, I'm going to be here anyway. So yeah, it's just kind of one of those things. You, you, it's a lifestyle and you have to be prepared for the lifestyle if you, if you sign up for it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, at one point in my life, I think uh, being on the football side and in your shoes is something that I really wanted and, and chased hard. And, and one of my best friends is coaching at Hamlin now. Uh, he's a linebackers coach out there. And, uh, you know, to see that and that grind, it's a it's a different life. And you're absolutely correct. I mean, you're you're almost married to that profession and uh, you, you're obviously faith is strong. But I, I believe your wife is a very strong woman as well to be able to handle it because I know what goes into some of those things. So. No doubt about it. My wife is, uh, she's kind of the backbone of the whole family and she works full time too. So she's got a lot on her plate. Um, you know, I think what helps us out is we have her family that's just right down the road. Okay. And, uh, grandpa and grandma. So when we have uh, a birthday party, we'll have her grandpa, or I'm sorry, her mom and dad. And then she still has three grandparents that are alive. Wow. I have two grandparents alive and my dad. So like you're adding up and then we got a couple older neighbors for a while there that we considered grandparents too. I mean, you're closing in on like nine grandparents at, yeah. a, at a kid's birthday. So it's, uh, it, it's one of those things where, um, Marshall's home and you can't put a price on the people, uh, the people that are not only here in Marshall, but just the people with the family around and, and my kids, when they were growing up, we got, you know, got the birthday party. My wife and I don't really drink coffee. Uh, but at the birthday parties, we have to pull out the coffee machine. And so <laughs> my kids label that like, that's what the old people drink right there. <laughs> like that's what the old people drink. And, uh, but no, we, um, we have a lot to be blessed about a lot to be thankful for. And, and, um, yeah, just really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. So, uh, couple things here. Uh, Marshall, Minnesota is very similar to my hometown. I'm from Fairmont originally. I live down in yep. Phoenix now. So, I mean, very similar there. What's that like for you, you know, when you're recruiting somebody to a small town? Now, I played football in Mitchell, South Dakota at Dakota Wesleyan. And, okay. uh, you know, I was, when I was out there, it was kind of like amazing. We'd get these kids from California or here, you know, and it's like, what are you doing in Mitchell? You know, so what's that What's that pull like for you to, to get a kid to come in and, and – Obviously, I mean, you just talked about family and how the neighbors and the community. And is that kind of the same pitch you give to people when they're coming? Um, I think it, it comes back to just kind of selling that experience that they're going to get. Yep. Um, you know, we're top. We've been fortunate. We're top 20 in the country in attendance pretty much every year. Um, so we get a great support. Our guys, um, a lot of them come from a similar type background so they can really connect. And that's more so off the floor. Um, you know, that experience piece and you, you, you know, lived it with Mitchell, you kind of know, you got to kind of create your own experience a little bit, Mm -hmm. Like you got to create your own fun. And I think our guys do a good job of that, uh, especially at certain times of the year. And, and I think when you take pride in that and that allows you again, that's just part of growing up. I mean, those relationships is a big part Uh, when we're selling the program, We've been fortunate to have some success. So then obviously the success with the support and the combination of just us as, as coaches now um, in a different role. Uh, when I was a little bit younger, it was probably more like uh, a big brother sometimes to some of these guys it felt sure. like. But now I'm kind of like the, the uncle, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even old enough to be the dad now. But um, so your, your mentorship style has to change. So I have to adapt to, to what those guys need and I tell you what, it's fun though. I, I try to try to stay ahead of them. Yeah. Um, try to mess with them a little bit. And, uh, you know, anytime I can get a good prank in on the team, I, I'm, I'm all for it. Let's yeah, go. Uh, let's have some fun. Yeah. Uh, it's fun stuff. Uh, and one, you know, one thing that I've kind of been very vocal about since I've started this pod is I was coaching football in Minnesota before I moved down here at the high school level. And, uh, I mean, obviously you're engaged with different levels of, of everything. And I'm sure your kids play basketball now, but, uh, there seems personally, I see a real big stigma around youth sports and, and kind of, unfortunately like a negative connotation and you get to see all these people from all over. And, and I guess, I mean, kind of my question for you is, um, you obviously know a lot about the game of basketball. And I'm sure your p- players, um, they do some volunteer stuff, whether it be refing or, uh, you know, uh, maybe they coach a little bit as well at that youth level. But what do you think, I guess, you know, I guess what I'm trying to get is how do you think as a society 
we get around all this negativeness because I think that youth level is really impactful on a child, and that's when they decide if they're going to be around sport. And I'm very thankful for the things that sports have brought myself, and I know you are as well. So to have somebody ruin that at an early age I think would have been tragic on my life. What do you think we can do to change that a little bit? To I know that's an out-of-nowhere well, question, but uh, having a college <laughs> coach on, it's something that I really wanted to, to bring to the front and ask. No, I think that youth thing is, is obviously a moneymaker, right? I think if you're in the world today, as much as we want to say people do things for the right reasons, a lot of times people do things to make money. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of follow the money, and that can be in politics, the youth sports, and everything in between. Um, but I would say – my, from my experience, um, I think it's really important that people realize that, man, I tell you what, it can't be only about their kid. Um, as, as they're kind of growing up, if you truly buy into the big picture and you're truly trying to help, it, you can do so. You can have a lot of fun. Like yeah. youth sports can be an absolute blast. And, and I've been fortunate. My, my daughter's been, a, been in AAU basketball and my son is in AAU basketball and, and also on the youth side of things. And, and, and they all bring different um, challenges. But at the end of the day, um, I think you just want to surround yourself with good people. Um, but, boy, I tell you what, I've seen the, I've seen the worst in youth sports, too. Um, yeah. My dad was a high school basketball coach for, um, you know, 40 years, which kind of laid the foundation for me to, to be here. I've seen the, I think sports bring out not only the, the best in people, but it also brings out the worst in people sure. and, um, to fix it. Boy, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough question. If we both had that answer, I don't know if we'd have to be on this podcast, that's very true. We'd be millionaires. <laughs> but I think when it comes back to largest respect, yep. um, yeah, you got to remember those officials for the basketball side of things. Everyone has played basketball or everyone thinks they knows basketball. Yeah. So basketball is a tough one. Um, you get to volleyball, you get to some of those other sports and the parents aren't as active because they may not understand all the, the finer details, but basketball, sure. friends, I find out everyone thinks they know basketball, mm-hmm. but, um, I don't know. I, I think at the end of the day, I know how I am. Um, so when I'm not coaching my kid, I'm kind of that guy standing off in the corner. I'm just really quiet. Yeah. Um, I'm not not really being too active with one way or the other and just kind of kind of stay away from everybody. And, sure. um, but man, I tell you what, COVID didn't necessarily help those matters. Um, no. when it comes to the, that parent and the opinions and the aggression aggressiveness with their opinions and, and feeling that they can kind of just throw whatever they want out. And, and that hasn't necessarily helped our cause. Um, you know, I think one rule for parents to live by would be just if, it's pretty simple. Like if that's not your kid, you probably shouldn't be yelling negative things at them. Right. I don't care what it is. Like I had an issue or our family had an issue during COVID. My daughter was having some stuff with the, the mask and trying to play basketball with a mask on. And, and obviously now as it's times went by, we all know that the masks were doing absolutely nothing. And, and it was, uh, it was all just perception. Yep. And, um, and so, but during that moment, I, I just remember my daughter had some breathing issues and I had parents of another school yelling at my daughter to raise her mask. <laughs> and I, I laughed about it because I'm like, you know, I kind of laughed. At, and, I, and my daughter wasn't any good and she was <laughs> the last person on the bench. They're probably not yelling at her, but she was doing well that particular right. game. And, and then the parents are riding her and I'm just like, I wasn't at the game. I just kind of hear um, from my wife and from my daughter. But, man, you talk about those experiences that you never forget, right? So right. my daughter's getting yelled at by parents about putting up a mask yeah. in a game. Yeah. And it's like, come on. Like, just let's get over this. Um, but I'm glad we're past it. And, yeah. Um, and it, I don't know. Like, that's, a, that's a tough question. And unfortunately for your daughter, uh, the same parents probably yelling at her were the same ones yelling that the kids shouldn't be wearing masks while playing basketball probably the day of the game too, right? I mean, they're probably well, very yeah. against it, you know? So it's just – it's tough, and you put it all on those kids. And you're right. That's a memory that, unfortunately, she'll probably never forget is those fans yeah. from that town, and that's tough. But it's, we're moving forward. I think that's the thing, like – 
and every parent has kind of handled their situation differently. But I, you know, I, I grew up a coach's kid. I know you, you kind of living in a glass house, you know, everyone's watching you and my daughter and my, you know, our kids, we're, we're trying to teach them how that kind of have that understanding, like you're being watched. So yeah. there's a, there's, it's important that you are careful with your actions, but it's also important that you have respect at all times. And, and, um, and just know that, I mean, people are going to, they're going to, they're going to be watching. Yeah. Uh, I kind of want to transition a little bit now and, and kind of go about your journey. Uh, you talked about how you've been in Marshall for 25 years. Obviously you played there. Um, was coaching something you always wanted to do being a coach's kid? Absolutely. Uh, my dad, um, you know, we, we grew up in a real small town and then we moved to a, a, a bigger size town, a four A school in Iowa to Fort Madison. Um, and, just the ability to watch my dad make an impact on, on youth. Um, we have so many stories. Um, uh, you know, we've had, <laughs> we had a young man. We were kind of that taxi at that time. Sure. My dad would give a ride home to so many kids after practice. And there's just so many stories. I, I remember one story where we're, we're, we're coming home and, and uh, this boy, uh, we're dropping off his apartment and this young man, uh, he asked my dad to come in with him. And so my dad and, and the young man comes in and, and he goes in the apartment and they were in there for a while. And then all of a sudden my dad and this young man come out and um, he has a bag. And I'm like, so he comes in, he pops in and, and uh, dad goes, Hey, he's going to stay with us for a little bit. And what I didn't realize is at that time, I don't remember back in the day, but we had these punch cards for meal tickets. I don't know if you remember that. Like you had the different colored one and you just, you'd have punches. You'd sure. have these, all these punches on there, like the old school punch. Yep. And I remember for about a month, a couple good two, three weeks, this young man was, um, every morning, every day, he'd ask me for lunch if he could use the punch card. And my mom and dad were always about helping others. Right. So, yep. I'm giving this kid a punch card lunch for like three weeks straight. What I didn't realize is, um, it was pretty sad. Um, that was really the only meal the kid was eating a day. Um, that night he came and lived with our family, um, because his mom had left him. Wow. And so you just have like all these crazy stories, uh, along the way that kind of, it's it's so much more than just basketball, uh, but just your ability to make an impact and then to be there for people when they need you most. Um, I think that was what I realized. Like my my dad was obviously a uh, a high school basketball coach, but my mom was a school nurse. And if you you know obviously with my story, you you're aware that I lost my mom in a kayaking accident, and so during that funeral, um, you know you have people that show up and at the church for three straight hours, there was the, the line to, to, you know, kind of walk up yep. was all the way outside the church. And you just, every person coming by just telling you a story about your mom. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't know, I guess I was raised with, by two great people um, who, you know, understood how to serve for others. And, you know, for me to be a college basketball coach now and, and to be able to make an impact in, in different ways, I think that's that just kind of runs in our in our legacy. Yeah, now, I I will get back to some of that story because I think it's very important that you share that to everybody. And um, but uh, when you became the head coach at SMSU, as somebody who played there, and you said you never left there, what was that feeling like? I mean, that had to be I mean wild, right? I mean, pure joy, I'm sure. Yeah, it was crazy. I. I never wanted to, I, I thought I'd be a high school basketball coach, sure. uh, just like my dad. Um, loved the lifestyle, perfectly fine with it. It just kind of worked out. Like I said, I, I was a grad assistant and the assistant job opened up. And then six years later, um, the head coaching job opens up two weeks before the season starts. Wow. So I'm thrown into this sucker at 29 years old, uh, or 30 years old, 29, well, 29 years old, turned 30 that year. Um, yeah, obviously you're super excited, but at the same time you're scared. <laughs> you're oh, yeah. scared because you're like, 
man, I, you know, you don't, you, you think, you know, and as an assistant coach, you're like, man, you got all the answers when you're assistant coach. Yeah. But then when you're the man, all of a sudden, every decision has to be a little bit more, um, just, uh, there's gotta be more to it. Yeah. Um, and, and so just going through that year, uh, was absolutely, uh, one of, I mean, it's a, I could write a book on that year. Um, there's so many different things and I don't even know if we have time to go through it all, but that year, the stress, um, was through the roof because there's no guarantees that I'm going to get the head job right in the interim. And, and there was a point during the year where, um, we weren't playing well, like it was right after Christmas and we got our tails kicked two back-to-back weekends. And I remember sitting on the couch on a Saturday night after the game and I mean, I'm almost crying because I'm like so emotional that like, I'm like, my dream is like right here. Right. Like, this is my dream. This is my opportunity. And I am absolutely blowing it. And my wife just supportive as always just kind of pulled me aside. And what do you got to do better? And then we just started talking. And then I, t- I swear, like the next week I lived in the office and then we got on a run and we made the conference championship game and came up, you know, basically made the NSC, um, almost made the NCAA tournament, came up one, one, one point shy of uh, making the NCAA tournament and ended up getting the job that spring. But it, that whole process and me being here for as long as I am and knowing that the story is unique, I don't take it for granted one day. Yeah. Um, I know, I know that there's a lot of people in this profession that have to bounce around. Uh, I see it all the time. I'm part of hiring committees all the time on campus and they have to, you know, work their way up. And, um, and I understand that, you know, there, there's definitely some luck involved with me getting this job, but boy, I tell you what, I, uh, I'm trying to make the most of it. That's no doubt about that. Absolutely. Was there any point in that first year where some self doubt crept in and you thought, well, maybe, maybe coach being the head coach at a division two school isn't for me. I don't know about the self-doubt, but I tell you what, you, I mean, it's, it's just life, man. Life hits you hard. I mean, life's real. Um, it's not, it's not forgiving. Um, and, and I had to, I had to work through those moments. I, I now do some consulting. I'm old enough now where I do some consulting, been travel around the country a little bit. Um, people ask me for help. And so I'll go and help young coaches a lot of times with some consulting stuff. And, it takes three years to become a, a head coach. Like your 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 first year, you become a head coach. You're what I would say is you're kind of coaching, and that guy is you like your mentor that you learn the most from. You're coaching like he's in the other room, but he's just gone for the day. Right. And so like you're doing everything that he would do, and and then your second year, you all of a sudden get this courageous like, oh man, I know everything, so I'm, I'm going to change everything. And then now your third year. You're finally not coaching like the other guys in the room. You've learned from all your mistakes the second year because you thought you knew everything. And so now you finally hone in on, on being a, a great head coach. And, and hopefully along the way, you've, you've, you've got a little bit lucky. So you still have some talent on the team and uh, you can kind of make your way. Yeah, that's it. Uh, a little bit about me. I, was, I became a head coach in high school football at 24 years old. And uh, yep. that three-year thing, I wish somebody would have told me that when I was 24 because that is the most true thing uh, ever. I mean, I did everything, you know, like you said, like the guys that I learned from, Matt Mahoney, Andy Trado. I was like, this is how it's done at this level. And then it's just so funny. And year three, statistically and record-wise, was one of my worst years, but that was one of the best years we had. You know, everything was, we did everything we could and everybody was in and there was never a doubt that, you know, that's just, I, I, I wish, I'm going to share that because I hope more people hear that because that's such a true message. And, you know, going through that little bit of a journey, obviously at a different level, but that's, those are some challenging times, especially in those first couple of years and you're transitioning. Like you said, you're trying to build yourself and build your mm-hmm. own culture and you got people hanging around that were a part of old stuff. And, you know, that's. I wish I knew that coach. That's, that's some real good stuff there. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. You know that, and that's a tough part about young head coaches too. Like your ability to be around people that will, um, understand what you're going through. Um, you know, I think, 
I think sometimes young coaches will get around another coach who maybe sees them in a different role, right? They saw them as an assistant role, so they're having a tough time adjusting to them being the head coach. Or they are not understanding. Like I, I always thought when that consulting thing, when the new head coach is his first time head coaching and I'm going and I'm talking to the assistants, I always talk to the assistants and say, you know, it's your role to understand that he's going to make mistakes and you can't judge him on those mistakes. You got to build him up on the mistakes. You got to help him understand that, okay, it didn't work, but it's okay. So what can we do better? Like you got to work together on that. And I think as a young head coach, sometimes you think you have to be perfect and you got to understand you're, you're not going to be perfect. All right. Far from for sure. Uh, speaking of assistance, I mean, you've been around for a while. How many of your assistants have, I mean, have you had to push a lot of guys up and on the ladder or do you still have a, a good group of guys that have stuck by your side? What's, what's it looking have, like there? Yeah. You know, we've really, I've only had really, you know, from a, a tenure standpoint, two assistants, um, uh, we had a guy named, you know, right away had a guy and then he kind of moved on. And then, then we had a guy named Tremel Barnes who was an assistant coach when, uh, the Kirk family was here. Tremel was outstanding local kid. I knew Tremel when he was growing up, he came to our camps when he was a little boy. Okay. And, uh, so I just, I knew him forever and he was fortunate. He played here for two years, uh, and then graduated. And then, so it just kind of worked out where he was kind of the guy and, and we went on a journey with him. For about boy, I, I kind of lose track of time. I'm gonna say four or five years, uh, where he was kind of in that in that role, you know. And then uh, he actually is now coaching at the University of Utah. Really? So oh. he is a part of their staff. So he, he he went from Southwest Minnesota State out to Utah State, then came back to South Coast State, and then now is back out at Utah with Craig Smith. Wow. And um, and he's kind of earned Craig's respect, and and that's been fun. And then. During that time when Tremel was still here, there was a, about a two-year stretch where we had a young man named Nick Smith, who is our current um, assistant coach. And Nick is he's a brilliant mind. Um, he's, a, he's a guy that is, is absolutely priceless for our program. Everyone knows that. He's now the co-head coach. Um, I think that's one thing. Like Sometimes head coaches get this ego, like, oh, I'm the head coach. No, it's like at the end of the day, man, we're all in this together. Yeah. Um, and I think the secret to success is really comes back to not only your assistant coaches because your your head your your players are going to go to your assistant coach first. Yep. Uh, on a lot of things, so those assistant coaches have to be able to handle that responsibility the right way. But also just understanding, um, we want everyone in the program to have a voice, and and so that we really try to teach our guys to be player led, and and so I'm not. I'll be honest with you, like right now, I don't I don't give a lot of motivational speeches right now. It's more just it's simple, it's to the point, and you, you kind of create an environment where you want the upperclassmen to to teach. And so we don't even I won't stop practice a lot of times and I'll those guys have to teach in between the drills or even on the fly. And and that creates an environment where again it's player led and 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 when we've been at our best, or there's no doubt about it, we've been a player led team. Yeah, uh, it's an, that's an incredible culture to build, and I think that's kind of where everybody wants to get to. But I think it speaks a lot about you, and uh, like I said, obviously, you know, if, from the Kirks, they've always had nothing but great things to share about you. And um, as I transition this, you know, the real reason I wanted to have you on, and I'm sure it's, it's obvious to you, but you have such a unique story. Uh, of perseverance and then for you to be a coach and and you probably don't I'm sure you do but you know the way you handled all those things that happened over that 13 month span I mean those guys that were a part of your team that's how they're gonna react in life and I mean what a it's crazy to see that and for everybody listening uh coach has an e60 on him and it details it extremely well and I encourage you to check it out um but just briefly, I mean, you can go in as deep as you want, um, but just tell everybody a little bit about that 13th month period of time, because I can't imagine a more challenging time for a person. Yeah. And it's hard, you know, and, and it's hard to go, um, you know, as far as to be able to tell the story and then explain in the details, but I do, you know, I, the, probably the best thing is just maybe to watch that E60, right? I yeah. think it's called Bigler Way or something like that. But 
I think it, it's, um, yeah, I lost my mom kayaking. Um, it's one of those stories where, um, it, there's, it's very detailed and it's very impactful. Um, cause how I lost her, she, I, I lost her in my arms. I couldn't save her. Um, you know, she's three feet under the water and we're in this tree and, and I can't get my feet placing and I can't, and there was a, a tree that actually fell on top of us, uh, to put us in that situation. And, and that's like a fight for life that you can't, it's hard to explain. Um, it, it just, it's really hard to explain the intensity of that moment. Um, in the, in the ability to kind of, uh, there's so many things you go through your head, even now today, you know, I'm 10 years away from that. I still can go back to that moment. Like I was there. Um, and, and just how it impacted me and, and just, I mean, it tore me up. Um, you know, I had to get counseling and everything. Just, you, you, you lose someone in your arms and, and it's just, it's just, it's just, it's never, I mean, you can never forget obviously, but it's, it's yeah. one of those impacts that just change you. And then to kind of turn around that following year and we had a special season. We were in, able to win a, a conference championship that year in basketball and the emotions are just through the roof, right? You go from the lowest low to a, a high. I'm not going to say the highest high, but a high. And then you follow up in that summer and and then our family's hit by a drunk driver. And, and then we, during the year, you know, we, during the year we have a young, or we have a, a boy named Drake during the year that was, that was born. And his story as well during the season was amazing. Cause we just, it was uh, in the second semester, we, we're on the road and my wife's pregnant and, and uh, I probably shouldn't even left, but um, so she's pregnant, she's on the road and we're about two and a half out, two hours away. And, and all of a sudden we, we beat a, we made a, we made a, a nationally ranked team that night. So we beat them and we're celebrating in the locker room. And all of a sudden my father-in-law is at the door of the locker room and he didn't have to say a word. Cause I knew what we're doing and Twitter was just starting at that point. Like sure. social media was just getting going. And so I sprint out and we take off and we're two hours and we get back to the, uh, to the hospital. And, um, and, and during the way I'm tweeting, but at the time social media, I mean, I'm sure social media would have absolutely went blown up sure. at that point. Um, but, um, so anyway, I roll in and my, my sister-in-law and there, there's some other funny stories that I'm leaving out just to kind of keep this going. But she's like, all right, if you pass out, they don't care about you. You, you, you know, they're only worried about your wife. And she walks out the door <laughs> and as she walks out the door, the doctor who's going to give the, or take, you know, deliver our, deliver Drake or deliver the baby. She walks in and that night she was actually our, um, doctor that was at the game so she was at the game too oh no way so we are both we are both like flying back to make this pregnancy thing oh my god she still's got her southwest basketball t-shirt on and she's like talking about the game and my and i'm like talking about the game you know we should be the ranked team <laughs> yeah. and my wife's my wife's like um she's like it's go time and water had broke whatever and it, I mean, we had the baby in like 10 minutes. It, wow. it was like we both walked in from the game and boom, the baby's there. Boom, we're all just celebrating. So it was like, again, you're talking from this, the emotions of that year. So we have Drake. We win a conference championship. And then in the summer, um, you know, we're, we're hit. Uh, we're hit by a drunk driver. And uh, and, and, and we, have, we lose Drake. Um, he was in the car at the moment. Um, but there's also – so many more things that, you know, that night, um, that, uh, you know, just that whole day, um, you know, I can rewind the day like it was yesterday. Um, you know, holding Drake the last time. And I was actually at another wedding before I went to that wedding. Um, and no one could, you know, he was crying the whole time. He wouldn't feed for anyone. So then I get there. And so, um, I'm the only one who could calm him down at that moment. So I, I take him out and we're feeding him. And, you know, obviously that's, you know, the last time I held him. Um, and, um, 
but yeah, so there were, we want to take off early to be able to kind of get up to the cabin and, and, but at the story that really needs to be, there's a, at a, you know, Talia and Nash are like three and one or four and two at the time. Um, and they, I, I promised that they could dance at the wedding, you know, at the, at the rear or at the reception. Sure. And so they stay and they dance that night um, where they're not in the car with us. Wow. And that decision, you know, saved their lives. Yeah. You know, um, and so we are, again, on path and we get hit. And there's a lot of details to the story. Um, when I do public speaking, I, like I said, I got six public speaking engagements here coming up. And a lot of them are high schools. And just trying to make an impact of, of proper, you know, proper driving decisions and yeah. social decisions. But, um, and maybe I don't know where to go with it, but I would say when I first started public speaking, the NFL flew me out to New York. And that was my first big kind of thing. And I'll be honest with you, I just wasn't ready for it. Sure. Um, you know, I, the NFL flew me out there and you go to their headquarters and you got the responsibility of doing this presentation. And I, I'll be honest with you, I bombed it. Like I was just, I just started crying. Like I wasn't, I just wasn't ready. Right. Um, and then about a year later, so then I went through a year later of talking and, and, um, it was a, and the NCAA only allows me to speak at different times, like a certain periods of the year. Sure. I can't leave campus. I just, and obviously it's making an impact, but I, you know, whatever, I don't use it to recruit. It's just right. Whatever. But so it's in the, it's in the fall about a year and a half later or whatever. Um, and I just done like six straight weeks of like three speaking engagements a week. And I'm just exhausted. And we're up in this small town of Wheaton, Minnesota. And we're just, it's the last presentation. And at the time I had my, I have the crash car with me. And what do you do is you, you kind of get there early. So the kids walk by the car before school starts. And then the presentation, then you have the presentation right away in the morning. And then I'm driving the crash car and a trailer behind me uh, on the way home. And during the presentation, there was, a, there was an older gentleman in the back and the older gentleman in the back is, you can just tell he wasn't like, he didn't fit. He wasn't a teacher. He just, you know, just someone in the community coming to wash probably, right? Yeah. So the presentation goes great. Uh, we're leaving. And as I'm leaving, he's looking at the crash car. And it's kind of one of those like, all right, do I say something to him? Do I not? Like, I, you know, I don't know. So I'm kind of walking by. I kind of said hi. And he looks at me and goes, sir, I... I got to introduce myself to you. And, um, and I'm like, okay. All right. And he says his name and, and he talks about his occupation and, or says his name and he goes, I, um, I was there the night of your crash. And so now in my mind, I mean, it catches my mind, right? It catches my attention. And he goes on to explain that he's a crash constructionist. That's his job. And he had just retired that, that fall, you just retired of like 40 some years of doing it. Really? And he goes, I'm, I'm, I was a crash construction. So it was my job. And he was talking, you know, it's my job to come to these crashes at the night of an accident when there was a death. And he goes, I was pretty good at my job. Like I done this for 40 some years and, and I can remember your, I can remember your whole entire um, scene. And he goes, I, he, he was, he had humility in how he said it. He's like, you know, I'm pretty dang good at my job. He's like, I, I'd done this for a long time. And I remember the details of your crash. And there wasn't many things, he goes, there wasn't many nights or many crashes that I could not put together. And he goes, my 40 some years, he goes, I know how your son died. I know how the car, where the other car hit your car, how your car ripped and how the back of your car ripped off. And then he looks at me and he goes, 
again, I've been doing this for 40 some years. And um, there's one thing that I'll never be able to figure out. And he goes, I don't know how you're alive. And man, I tell you what, you don't hear that every day. No. He's like, I don't, I do, I do not know how you're alive. And he said, whatever you're doing, man, you got to keep doing it. Um, and so like when I get my piece, uh, public speaking engagements, like it's kind of one of the ways I, I finish the presentations kind of with that story. Cause it's like, been through two pretty crazy events, right? When that tree fell or gave on my mom and me, um, I was actually down, I was downstream. So that probably should have captured me, not her. And then, and then the car accident, um, obviously you walk away with, I cracked my neck to however many bones in my body all the way down. And, and, uh, you, know, you walk away and you're, I mean, I can still move. I can play catch with my kid. I can do anything normal. I'm playing paintball with a guy. You know, I can yeah. do everything normal. And then you got this guy telling me like, all right, dude, like, I don't know how you're alive. And so it's kind of one of those things. So the story needs to be told. Yeah. Um, the, the, the impact has to be, you know, got to do our part. Um, I have to do my part. Um, and just be be willing to to help others whenever I can, you know, to to make a you know to make an impact. And it's uh it's it's emotional. Um, I mean, every time I do give the presentation, I cry. And uh, and it, you know, when you start breaking the details down, and you know, my wife, you know, that's one thing I can relate. You know, I, I lost my mom in my hands, and my wife held Drake till his last breath. Yeah. And and so your your ability to again obviously use that story um you use it in a variety of ways um and you don't want people to under, you want people to understand like you can have fun like i'm not telling you not to have fun right like, that's that's not it like i'm not saying don't ever drink or it just there's just some simple rules that we talk about uh, to stay safe and and i uh, would try to kind of emphasize those rules with the with the youth and and um and it'll have this common sense, but at the same time, um, you you want to protect you know you want to protect them too. And if there's if I can save a life on every one of those presentations, and that's 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 pretty cool. Yeah, uh, first off, appreciate you sharing that. I mean, that's a impactful story, and it, it truly is. It's so impactful, and I think for a multitude of reasons, and it's part of the reason I wanted to do. Not only your podcast, but podcasts in general. I get to talk to so many interesting people, right? And and take their stories and push them out to another group of people, which is incredible. But I think, obviously, your perseverance, right? I think going through that, a lot of people would have just called it. In that 13 months, and I don't know what it is for you, and you don't have to share if you don't feel obligated but obviously you had a family that looked at you and obviously kids coaching but i how how did you get up and keep going because that's another thing you know another stigma where i think most men especially would have just pushed that on down and and just lived with it you know i think that's another thing we face and with men so if you want to how how did you how did you fight through that and get to here um I know my going through my mom's thing uh, kind of prepared me. Um, you know, I, I got some counseling and how you think and how you process things. And I mean, I'll never forget, right? So you that night of the crash. I mean, I'm my wife thought I was dead. You know, sure. I'm laying on the ground. My wife thought I was dead. Um, and and there's some other details with it. But so when I come to the, the early morning next, you know, the next day, early morning, and I start to wake up and I got, you know, I got my wife, by my you know, she's holding my hand and I got the, the rooms kind of full of people. And I'm like, I got cords all over my body, like just, and, and then she's kind of talking to me about Drake. And I, I, I just remember during that moment, um, I can't, I think it's faith. Uh, I think I know it's faith. Um, I 
I got all these people looking at me to see how I'm going to react to this. And, and for whatever reason, I had this like calmness about me that was like, you know, when people, a lot of times I remember saying at that moment too, um, I, I don't want to live with bitter. I don't want to be a bitter person for the rest of my life. I don't want to be an angry person for the rest of my life. Like, I don't, I think we have two beautiful kids at that moment that need us to be great parents. Mm-hmm. And and if we're bitter and we're angry, um, well, then they're going to be bitter and angry people for the rest of their lives. Right. And, and so I just remember really fighting those emotions the whole time. Um, you know, just it's easy to say it now, but I mean, it wasn't easy then, but I just remember fighting those emotions and just saying, oh, this is not going to not define who we are in a negative way. And, and, and you know, we're going to continue to grow. And, um, and it, I had a really good support system around me. I know my wife was phenomenal. Um, I, I still battled it though. Like I, you know, when you got, you can't move, right. You're sitting on a couch for two weeks and, um, you're, you're, you're watching TV and you, you know, just, you got a lot of, you know, you do have to go through the motions of anger and, and, right. and, 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 and all those emotions. And I think what I would tell people is I think a lot of times us as males, we think we have to be the tough guy. Right. And, and when I was saying that we don't have to be bitter, we don't have to be angry. I wasn't trying to act tough. I was just trying to be real and, and then go, then then process it and do it. Like it put your actions behind your words. And right. but I remember though, um, man, there was a couple. There was a couple tough tough moments there. And I think as a as a male, we're you know we're don't cry, right? Don't don't show emotion. Don't don't do this. I'm like you know, I didn't show emotion for a long time, and it was not healthy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you go through tragic events, I think it's okay to feel all the different variations of emotions. So when you're angry, it's okay. Be angry. All right. But then, then get through it. Yep. When you're, when you're sad or when you're, when you need to cry, you know what, you got to do it, like let it out. But then it's also to, you know, you can have, you also still be happy in a few of those little moments too, during tragedy, right? You can yep. still find a way to put a smile on your face or put a smile on someone else's face. And you still, um, you got to keep your mind busy. You got to stay active. And, and so there's just, you, you start cheating yourself with those emotions. And then all of a sudden, it's going to come back and haunt you later on. Yeah. And, and, and and I think that's what I learned most with my mom's um, situation or her accident is I can't hold on to some of those things uh, as far as anger. Because I was really angry after my mom's death. And uh, it took me a while to kind of get through that and, and so when the Drake's thing came out, again, I was just from a faith, from a preparation, um, just in a, in a different place to be able to kind of handle it. Yeah. I appreciate you so much for sharing that with us. And like I said, uh, helping people is kind of why I wanted to do this. And I know you're all about that as well. So as I kind of transition, as we get close to winding down here, uh, how is that? transitioned into your day-by-day especially coaching i think you know you see a lot of people take things whether it's make mantras or how they live their life right i think a lot of people are very familiar with pj flex row the boat and why that's a thing right so i mean is there anything like that that you've instilled into the culture because i'm sure not every kid that comes to smsu knows that story but i'm sure at some point they learn it right yeah, I talk. Uh, I think one of the things. There's a lot of things, so I can I can take that that question in a lot of different ways. But um, the one thing that I'll say is, that, you know, we kind of have these pillars. We have four pillars that we talk a lot about. Um, the four pillars are awareness, humility, ownership, and then the last one. That's what I want to talk about is forgiveness. Um, your ability to uh, forgive is so important in sports and i don't think people understand that so like when you're when you're coaching a young athlete that forgiveness thing is so like a lot of different ways of looking at it, right they have to be able to forgive themselves when they make a mistake right right they have to be able to forgive a teammate when they make a mistake i have to be able to like and so we we talk a lot about that forgiveness piece um 
it, it's actually Carter Kirk's senior year. Um, you know, when we were, we were playing, we're playing for, uh, uh, we're playing for a championship and um, we had a couple guys late to the shoot around that one of the, one of the tournament games and it was two freshmen and they weren't even playing in the game. Yeah. But it threw a couple of our upperclassmen off that they weren't there. And I, I had to use, I remember, and it, we almost lost a game because we were just so emotional. And I remember after the game, I'm like, that is a new thing that we got to talk about. Like, and I, it was just like, it, though that there's just a lot of different things that come into play. And that forgiveness piece, you know, I'll, I'll give communication or speeches on, on, uh, to, to like organizations and, and leadership and how to lead. And I would say that would be one for me, my, my ability to, to be patient, my ability to allow people to grow, uh, to understand that there's going to be growth. Yeah. Um, that, that's one of the things I'm so thankful for me being here for as long as I have as I've, I've seen a lot of, I call them cycles where guy groups of guys kind of come in and then they grow together and do something fun. And then we got another group. And when that another group comes in, as humiliating, uh, humbling as it is, you know, we think we're good, right? So we we went on, went to three NSIC tournament championship games, two South Division championships. We and all those guys graduate. Yep. And then now we got to start over, and that's a humbling experience, and it's hard, but it's healthy. Yep. And then that forgiveness piece comes along with that, and, and just again that there's uh there's something in sports where, um, you know, I, I think your best athletes got to be very very competitive but with that competitiveness that competitiveness if if not controlled can also uh be your be your weakest you know your weakest skill set too because uh if you don't have the ability to put a mistake behind behind you if you don't have the ability to kind of risk failure uh not being afraid to fail yep. um risk failure and then if you don't get it to be able to forgive yourself and then try it again uh, there's a lot to be said when it comes to that 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 element to, to being a champion, and and I'm fortunate to to be able to say that you know I've seen that play out and and um, and I'm just very you know again like I said just don't take my job I know my job is is a difficult one to get head coaching jobs I don't care where at any level too uh, head coaching jobs are hard to get um, whether that's a college coach or whether that's a high school coach there's a there's definitely a um, the being in the right place at the right time is is a big deal, and and then when you're there, you got to be prepared to to do those to do the right things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, coach, uh, I appreciate you so much. Uh, I'm thankful for sport bringing me together with the Kirks so that we could chat for an hour here. And uh, I know you're a busy man, and I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, I, when I started this podcast, like I said, I kind of just wanted to find a way to help people again. And, and I don't think that there's a lot of stories that, that do that more than yours. And I know you're a humble man, but uh, the greatest people you've never met, I don't know that that title fits anybody better than yourself. So I appreciate I you so much for taking time out of your life to spend an hour with me. I appreciate it. And I wish you the best. Uh, if there's any way I can help out in the future, let me know. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you so much for being on. Everybody for listening. Please like, comment, share, subscribe, unsubscribe. Keep tabs on the SMSU Mustangs this basketball season. Be good, everybody. Guys, only green the way you water it. Mm, guys, only green.